Welcome back to our Ruth study uh, for PVN students. We're in Ruth chapter 2 again. This time we're going to do kind of the second half of Ruth chapter 2, and we'll finish that up. So obviously in your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 2. We're, we're really going to be specifically in 8 through 23. So Ruth 2, 8 through 23. And, and you know, last week, right? So last week we were introduced to a new character in our story, character of Boaz. Uh, he's an honorable man who loves the Lord. He is also the relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Okay. Now remember, Naomi has no husband, right? Late husband. Naomi has no husband or sons. So there is no one by which her daughter-in-law, Ruth, can have children and continue the family line. And this is huge. This is one of the main themes of the whole story. Um, Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, can, there, there's no um, male relative that we've been able to find yet who could come in and redeem this family line. She needs someone related to Elimelech to continue the family line. Last week, Ruth asked Naomi if she could go and glean in the fields for food, right? Remember, God has laid out a law in the country of Israel that you never glean from the edge of your own fields. You leave them unattended so that the widow, the poor, the traveler, etc., can glean there and get something to eat. And verse 3 of chapter 2 tells us that Ruth just happened to. Remember this from last week? He's, he's, he is, is dripping with sarcasm here. Ruth just happened to. She chanced upon chance to end up in Boaz's field. The narrator is sarcastically reminding us that there are no chance encounters. God is at work here. God is bringing Boaz and Ruth together to meet in his field. So let's pick it up in 2, 8 through 10. Ruth 2, 8 through 10. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, Do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field in which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from where the servants draw. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? These are quite possibly the first kind words Ruth has heard since she entered Israel. Boaz tells Ruth she has access to the field anytime she wants it. He allows her not just to glean in the corners of the field, but to come in and work the main portions of it with the maidservant. So she's no longer being treated like a foreigner. She's being welcomed into the main part of the field. He has also guaranteed her safety while she's in the field. This may not be a popular decision that Boaz is making, right? Remember, this is the time period of the judges, okay? Ruth and the book of Judges takes place at the same time. So much of Israel is corrupt and evil at this point, but Boaz has sworn to protect Ruth. And he also lets her drink water from the well where the servants are drawing from. Now, this is a culture in which foreigners would draw for the host, right? The foreigners would draw for the host, and in which women would draw water for the men. Remember in John 4, the woman at the well, right? The women were the ones who drew water, but Boaz is having none of that. 
Not only can Ruth, a foreigner, drink from the same well as the servants, they're going to draw water for her. Boaz has been in Ruth's life about 10 minutes, and look at how her fortunes are changing. Look at how generous he's being to her. When we are in difficult situations, when we are in tough times, we need to remember that God can change our situation like that. Now, that's not a guarantee that he will do that. He may be doing a different work in your life. But God can change a bad situation in an instant. He really can. He has the power to take the misery of life and turn it into blessing. And this should fuel our prayer lives. We have a God who is in total control and who can take our lives and change them so quickly. He could take that friend or relative who just wants nothing to do with God, who could care less about God, and immediately create this interest in God and this love for God. He could take a weird family situation and and smoothen that out. He can take any, you name it, right? He has the ability to change our situations so quickly, and that should fuel our prayer lives. We are, we are praying to a God who can do 10,000 things in a second, and this should encourage us as we pray. In verse 10, Ruth says, how can this be? Why are you doing all this for me? I'm a foreigner. Why are you showing such kindness to me? And then we pick it up in 11 and 12 in Boaz's response. 11 and 12, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz says that he's doing all this because he's heard about all the kindness that Ruth has shown Naomi and the deep sacrifice she's she's done by leaving the promise of her land and her future to walk into this unknown future, trusting the Lord to love Naomi. And Boaz is deeply moved by this. He doesn't think that it's ridiculous. He doesn't think it's foolish. He sees that it is deeply costly to Ruth, and he is deeply moved by it. Remember, one of our themes in the book of Ruth is how ordinary obedience changes in so many extraordinary ways. And that continues here. Ordinary obedience is not boring to those who have eyes to see it. It's not a waste of time. This is not foolish in Boaz's eyes. It's beautiful. One of the instances where my wife was the most beautiful to me was when she was tending to her dying father last year. Maybe some of you remember me telling you about that. Over a week straight in the hospital, and Kristen rarely ever left her dad's side. And I remember seeing this and thinking, she is such a strong and godly woman. I am so thankful that God gave her to me. Obedience is beautiful to those who have eyes to see. And then verse 12, Boaz, again, let's look at this prayer that he kind of says about her one more time. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come seeking refuge. You see that theme? He says, may the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel bless you for what you've done. Now, remember, Ruth's not from 
Israel. Boaz is bringing God's name into the equation, right? Anytime you see Lord, L-O-R-D, this is the intimate name of God. This is, in a way, it's God's personal name. And Boaz brings that into the equation. He is not treating Ruth like a foreigner anymore, like someone who doesn't know the Lord. And remember, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free. All are one in him. In other words, those who follow God are united in a way that is closer even than family, united in a way closer than even being of the same race. And Boaz says, I hope that the God who loves and blesses Israel will show mercy and favor to you. But she's not from Israel. And Boaz sees through that. Boaz sees kind of in in the future sense the way Paul sees these relationships. Israel was supposed to bless the nations, right? They can't do that if they let race get in the way. You certainly can't bless another nation if you're bothered by the fact that they're from another nation. We're supposed to bless, and this doesn't just have to do with racial things, we're supposed to bless people who are not like us socially, economically, behavior-wise. We're supposed to bless people who are not like us. We can't do that if we let the fact that they are not like us get in the way. Boaz was doing on an individual level what the whole country should have been doing on a national level. He was literally blessing someone from another nation who had turned to obey Yahweh. Look at Ruth's response in verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Again, Ruth is blown away by the fact that she's a foreigner and Boaz is showing her all this kindness. But Ruth also says, oh my goodness, you have brought such comfort to me. What a relief right? Ruth is feeling relieved. Ruth was in need of comfort, and now she's getting that comfort. This word for comfort, right? You have comforted me. It means to breathe deeply. You're nervous about something, and then something good happens. You can relax a little, right? And you, oh man, you to breathe deeply, to cause an end to anxiety or tension. How does the Christian respond to anxiety? Ruth was anxious. She just said so. And and wouldn't you be? Going to a new school is difficult. Imagine a new nation. You You know nobody and you have no money. Or or a new college, right? Graduation, the unknown, right? Ruth knows exactly what you're talking about. But what did Ruth do in her anxiety? She needed comfort. She she didn't know what to expect. The unknown was all that she could see. So what did she do? She put her head down and moved forward. Anxiety is not a sin. Ruth was clearly anxious, but she trusted God and moved forward. She wasn't waiting for the perfect moment. She wasn't waiting until she felt perfectly good about it. When we do that, when we sit and wait and wait and wait for the right moment, that's when anxiety paralyzes us. We must strive to be like Ruth when we're anxious. We pray and we keep moving forward. 
This is trust. This is trusting God. Remember when you were little maybe and your your dad is standing in the deep end of the pool with his arms open, right, telling you, jump, I'll catch you. In that moment, it's your trust for your father that is being questioned. Do we trust our heavenly father enough to catch us as we walk forward? Lord, I don't want to make this phone call, but I trust you, so here I go. Lord, I don't know any of these kids at the lunch table, but I need to make some friends, so here I go. Lord, I don't know any of these people at church, but I need to find a good church, so here I go. Let's be like Ruth when we're anxious, trusting God and pushing forward. Here it is, wanting God to have the last word, not our anxiety. And let's be, and now now reverse it, let's be like Boaz, right? We need to be the source of that deep breath for someone else. Thank you. I didn't know anyone here. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. I didn't have a partner for this group project. If God is always welcoming, shouldn't his people be welcoming also? Let's be his people and welcome those who are far off. Let's do the best we can to be the source of their relief. I think sometimes those who feel a lot of anxiety should be those who are of greatest comfort to others who feel great anxiety because they know what they're going through. Maybe you can't shake your anxiety. I think it's very fair to say that God could be equipping you for a very specific form of ministry that that the extroverts just can't understand and can't do. But you may never see that if you're not willing to push in and trust the Lord even in your anxiety. Let's look to Ruth's example. Verse 14 through 16. 14 through 16. Boaz goes one step further. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and served, and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposefully, you shall, excuse me, you shall purposely pull out some grain for her from the bundles and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz not only says nice things to Ruth, Boaz not only prays for Ruth in verse 12, he acts out that prayer request. In verse 12, Boaz asked that God would protect her under his mighty wings. Picture a mother bird drawing her young in close under her wings. What does Boaz then do? Ruth, don't sit out there on the corners of the field. Come in close and dine with us. He does the very thing he hopes God will do. H.B. Charles says, You know you've really prayed for something when you try to be the answer to that prayer. You know that you've really prayed for something when you try to be the answer to that prayer. Do we pray for the lost and then we don't evangelize anybody? Do we pray that God would help us fight a certain sin, but then we don't give up anything as a means of trying to fight that sin ourselves? Boaz prayed that Ruth would be safe and taken care of. 
Then what does he do? He takes care of her and keeps her safe. 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of the bread into the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers. Again, she's among the servants. And he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Boaz brings Ruth in to eat the food that was made for the workers and for himself. Brings her in to eat at his own table. Think about how much Ruth's fortunes have changed from this morning. Hours ago, she had no idea what she would even eat later that day, and now she's eaten, did you catch it, until she has some left over. Chapter 1 started with famine. Now Ruth has more than she can eat. God is so generous all the time. He is quick to welcome us in. Some of us are far away from Him because of our sin. Some of us are sad or angry or we're just prideful. We don't want to talk to God because we don't think we need him. He is quick to welcome even those people like us in. To give us a life that is so satisfying, more satisfying than anything this world can give. Till till we are overflowing in our hearts, thanks to his generosity and kindness. According to verse 15 and 16, Ruth is now allowed to glean among the servants, right in the middle of the bar. Again, she is being drawn further and further in this whole chapter. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. C.S. Lewis, at the end of the Narnia books, right, he says, further up and further in so that we can know more of God's mercy and goodness. This is, Boaz is kind of this earthly representation of further up and further in, getting to know more and more of God's mercy and grace. And not only can she glean in the middle of the harvesters, they are to leave some for her on top of what she's already got. 17 through 19. 17 through 19. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. We'll get there in a minute. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave to Naomi what she had left after, and she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Ruth has gone from nothing, right? Nothing to finishing the day with an ephah of barley. An ephah is, now there's a lot of debate, but it's actually good because it's given us a very broad range. An ephah is somewhere between 30 to 50 pounds, a week's worth of food. Now, I want you to think, leave Ruth for a second, and I want you to think about what Naomi's day has been like. Think back. You know, Ruth said she was going to go out into the fields and glean. Think back at how many times in this chapter, and maybe do this on your own after this, think back in this chapter to how many times Boaz has had to guarantee Ruth's safety. How tragic that even in Israel, it was not a safe place during the time of the judges. Ruth has been gone all day. Who knows what can happen to her out in that field while she's by herself? Naomi has lost everyone close to her. And then she sees Ruth coming over the top of the hill. 
with a huge bag over her shoulder of barley from the harvest. Not only is Ruth safe, but they are fed for a week, and that's after just a day. Oh, how God provides, right? How the Lord provides. Spend time with the Lord Jesus. Follow his commands. And even if your situation doesn't change, you'll feel like it has because you'll see that God is really all you needed in the first place. C.S. Lewis says, when God is all man has, man realizes that God is all that he needs. Boaz and his abundance and his overflowing wealth and generosity are meant to point us upward to God. God is overflowing with love and mercy and goodness and grace and help and wisdom and peace and on and on. The point of this chapter is not health, wealth, and prosperity. God will bless you just like he blessed Ruth. No, no, no. The point is you will never read this correctly until you look into the book, and then look up at whom it points. The book is pointing us to God. God is the source of abundance. God is the source of all this goodness. God can fill us up. How many wealthy people do you know who are miserable? The point of this cannot be wealth itself. It is pointing us up to the God who is the source of all peace and contentment and forgiveness and mercy and help. Let's look at Naomi. And then we'll be done. 20 through 23. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You have finished. You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi realizes that this is the Lord, right? He has not only shown kindness to the living through Boaz providing them food, but he's also shown kindness to the dead. Now, how is that? Remember, Boaz is not just a relative. It says right there in 20, he is one of the closest relatives. The word here is goel in Hebrew. Not going to be a quiz. Just hang with me. The word here is goel. And it may even say this in some of your versions. It means he's not just a relative. He's one of what's called their kinsman redeemers. It may even say that in your translation. Boaz is not just a close relative. He'll be at the birthday parties. That's not what this means. Naomi knows that Boaz is a male in the family who could restore the family line, who could fix what was broken when Naomi's husband and sons died. Remember, Naomi has big theology. She knows God is behind and is at work in all things. He's at work in her life even now. Also, this word kindness, God has shown kindness to the living and the dead. The word here is hesed. It means promise keeping. If you're taking notes, you may want to circle this word kindness and write promise keeping. God is not just being nice. He is keeping his promises. No matter what is happening in our lives, God is still keeping his promises to us. 
In verse 22 and 23, Naomi tells Ruth to stay close, stay in Boaz's field. This word here is to cling for stay, right? Stay in the field. It means to cling, cling to this field. And it may sound familiar to those of you who know Ruth because in chapter one, Ruth clings to Naomi, 114. Now Naomi tells Ruth to cling to this place. Both Ruth and Boaz are ways that God is showing Naomi, I am clinging to you. I gave you Ruth who clung to you. Now I am providing you a field to cling to. Naomi, I am clinging to you. I am keeping my promises to you. No matter what happens in this life, I have nailed myself to my people. I will never abandon them. Think about it. What was Naomi's big mistake? Her big sin in the first chapter. She left Bethlehem. She left the promised land. She left the field. Now chapter 2 ends with Naomi telling Ruth, stay in the field. Don't leave. Don't do what I did. Naomi, who did not trust God at the beginning of chapter 1, is now telling Ruth, trust God. He's here. He's at work. His grace, God's grace, is softening Naomi's heart. We could sometimes have the big theology, right? The right theology, but maybe our hearts are not softened. This is what's happening in Naomi's life. Naomi is moved by how God is clinging to her. She has this big God theology. She knows the right answers, but she has yet to deeply experience this realization that God is clinging to her, and through the Holy Spirit, it happens here. Naomi is moved by how much God is clinging to her, how he has nailed himself to his people, his people like you and me, who are so often unfaithful, prideful, lustful, forgetful. Jesus nailed himself to the cross and nailed himself to us to show that he will never abandon us even when we forget about him. Even in the darkest of times, even when we commit the darkest of sins, he has promised to stay close to us. Naomi left the promised land. She did it. But God did not say, okay, fine, Naomi, you can come back. No. He has provided her with a week's worth of food after just one day of work. He has provided her with a daughter-in-law who is better than a son, as we'll find out. He has provided her with a kinsman redeemer who is righteous and loves the Lord. Look at the love of God that he has for a poor widow, but look deeper and see the grace and mercy that God has given to a sinner. This is the love that Jesus has for us. He is quick to bring us back. Like the father running to the prodigal son. Remember that picture? God is quick to welcome us back. So return to him. Run to him.